Hi, I'm Roy Collin, and I'm the creator of the podcast. You can find everything about me and the five podcasts on bio.link forward slash podcaster, and you'll find it in the QR code there. I'd also like to thank my sponsors. If you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety and want to know how to be 100% anxiety free in six weeks without therapy or drugs, Daniel Packard Anxiety Solution Program Company offers a six weeks system that permanently solves anxiety at an astounding 90% success rate. People who join the program only pay at the end once they have clear, measurable results. If you're interested in learning more, go to permanentanxietysolutions.com where you can book a free consultation with Daniel. Do you have high blood pressure or want to get off the meds? Doctors are amazed at what Zona Plus can do. Get a $50 discount with my code ROY. Go to zona.com slash discount slash ROY and you'll see the QR code for all my sponsors down at the end. Quality Polish manufacturer of metal products for telecommunication and workshop equipment and other metals. If you'd like a brochure, you see it in the QR code and you just let us know if you would like a quotation shipped internationally and very competitive rates. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Welcome to the Crypto Podcast. you find all our episodes on thecryptopodcast.org. My guest was previously a digital nomad traveling the world, a mobile app developer. He's the author of a very good book. Hey, mom, I bought Bitcoin and aka the Crypto Nomad. Please welcome Lorenzo Primatera. Did I do your name justice or are you trying to... <laughs> you did it right. You did it right. We went with the R's. <laughs> Very good. So, I mean, I mentioned a few of the different things. You're now kind of located in uh, in Lisbon and Portugal, but you might let the listeners know a little bit more about you. All right. So, yes, I've been a digital nomad since uh, 2016. And uh, well, up until last year when I decided to settle even for a little bit in Lisbon and Portugal, and we can go for the reason why even later in the show. And uh, I've been um, a software developer since I can remember, since I got out of the university, mainly working uh, with a mobile app development and uh, also with a, with a Tor project. So always been involved in the privacy and uh, security space. And um, yeah, also been a bit, Bitcoiner since uh, early days, even if back then I didn't know it, and I jumped back on the train later on. But I'll tell you a bit more about my story in a bit. Yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant. So I suppose, I mean, I because I read you got in early, but I suppose your whole kind of learning curve for, for blockchain technology, you might kind of tell me your journey on it. Yeah, as I describe in the book, like I got my first Bitcoin transaction was as early as 2011 because working with a lot of people in the cryptography space, not as cryptocurrency, cryptography space, Bitcoin was something that was circulating in the mailing list and people were treating as, you know, such a new cryptography tool. You, you can mine it on your computer, send it to a friend. Buying was difficult back then, even though some people were managing to do it. And uh, I really got the technology behind it. I really got how the mining works very early on. And I was even mining and sending to friends, but I never got the real economical implication I would have on our uh, on our world because I never know how money works. I had no idea about inflation. I had no idea about field money. But I was in the techn technological side, so I was like, "Oh, this is a cool thing," until 
you know, it gets uh, gets boring or whatever, and life gets in the middle, and I completely forgot about Bitcoin for many years. Until I would say, yeah, until I graduated, I started working, and then the second, uh, well, probably third bull market in 2017. And in that in that year, there was the blockchain was everywhere. So you start researching again, but also you go back to Bitcoin and understand it was the first, what's so special about it. And then also understanding, you know, the limited supply, all the characteristics that we know that makes Bitcoin unique. And there was the haha moment. I was like, oh, okay. I got this on my hands when it was so early, but I only got one side of the coin, not the other side. Now I get the full, the full picture. I got both the economical side and the technical side. And then later on, with the, there was another bear market, 2019, ending in 2020. And then when I had the ideas, like I want to explain this to somebody who does nothing, somebody as my mother. We know nothing about economy, nothing about digital money in general. And that's where the idea of the book uh, started. Brilliant. And like just prior to regarding, I mentioned, I think it was 2014, I was first introduced to it. And the guy was trying to, I don't think a full Bitcoin at that stage, but he was trying to give me a share of one. And he was explained to when he mentioned wallets and everything, I didn't get it. And I just said, nah, it's okay. And then I kind of saw a lot of, going on with blockchain and I got loads of Kindle books I was reading and it, I was just so baffled and I was like I just kind of and I left it go and what I would say is because after reading your book I wish I had something like that in my hands then because I would have jumped on board in in 2014 because the guy didn't explain it right and just how you've broken everything down. It just makes more sense. And I think, you know, you mentioned about your mother. I know that if I give this to my mother, she will actually understand it. You've done a very good job in actually, you know, simplifying what majority of people can't do. Yeah, as you said, it's about understanding the full picture of, you know, everything. Also about the history of, history of money in general from the really early age until today that we already have digital money with these digital banks and stuff and also making it a simple way that you know people can understand it and then doesn't mean that oh you understand it then you go and you buy bitcoin straight away because i know a lot of uh, let's say older people who read my book and understood it but they say my my age is, uh, doesn't allow me. I'm already retired or whatever. It's like, but they are interested to see how this is evolving, how the money that they always consider, you know, being safe and uh, they're not anymore. And so it's also to instigate the curiosity, instigate the curiosity on another generation that maybe they're not interested, but they hear it a lot. So making it so simple and breaking it down in like simple pieces without going into real technology because they don't really know how mining works. They kind of need to understand this, this process where you exchange electricity for Bitcoin, making it as easy as possible. And then like, of course, a younger generation 
it can get more into it, more technical, understanding and more how it works and maybe starting a business on it. But for me, the, the idea was more making it accessible for people who maybe not interested because it was just too complicated for them. Okay. And I, I saw that you were in uh, El Salvador and obviously they've embraced it. Are they like for the older generation, are they trying to bring them on board as well? How are they educating people on, on Bitcoin? So I was in El Salvador uh, like four or five months after they made a legal tender. And at the beginning, it was almost, I wouldn't say everywhere, but at least in the bigger cities in the Bitcoin Beach and uh, there were a lot of people with their wallets accepting Bitcoin. And uh, it was mostly younger generation. Or if there is a shop was run by an older uh, parent and you go there and you say, can I pay in Bitcoin? And they say, oh, no. You say, so I leave. I go to the next shop. Sometimes there was the younger son. No, no, dad, I've got the wallet. Let's not lose, uh, let's not lose this income. But uh, what I heard that in the last year, a lot of these tablets with a wallet, they were just collecting dust because it was just the people from outside El Salvador who went there and say, I want to pay with Bitcoin. So the experiment is kind of double faith. The fact that they were kind of uh, uh, forced by the government to accept Bitcoin, they were like not really understanding it. But at the moment, there are a lot of... Um, uh, local reality were making a lot of um, courses and education for high school students because the, this is the target is the young people the people are in high school now that they have to to learn about it and eventually educate also more people and they're doing this bitcoin diploma and uh, and uh, and this stuff and actually this is working education is what is working a government imposing a new currency, even though it's a you know a solid uh, solid one like Bitcoin, it wasn't working. So this is the the best thing that I saw there. It's like okay, once you give education to the people, that's what's gonna make the difference. And like I'm not a fan of tax because I think it's criminal and it, you know it kind of it sneaked in. I don't know was it thirty three or whatever. But how is El Salvador? tracking it or, or are they kind of what way are they doing to try to get their percentage so if all shopkeepers and everything you know with VAT and stuff like that how are they doing it that they have full traceability that they're, they get what they think they deserve from what I know Bitcoin there is not taxed at all and this is what they are trying to do to uh, like welcome more companies I know a lot of Bitcoin only companies who move their quarter to El Salvador because of this uh, non-taxable, even though there are a lot of other places, but they are you know, trying to make it as a marketing scheme. So instead of uh, making your company in Delaware or whatever, you, make, you create that in El Salvador. But uh, I guess the, the way they implemented it, as, um, especially for the local uh, citizen with their wallet, that is a custodial wallet. And then when you wanna exchange Bitcoin to dollar and withdraw from the ATM, there's always a big spread. So you pay some fees in that way, probably. Because what I saw a lot of people were, uh, yeah, were getting paid in Bitcoin and converting into dollar with a click and going to the ATM and getting dollars. Um, because like with a lot of the exchanges, you know, they use, um, you know, the kind of know your customer 
and which can be especially for someone who's a nomad doesn't really have a utility bill and stuff like that and it's I think there's a bit of fraud relating to that and the straw man and things like that, but that's kind of for another kind of episode. But like, how how can you actually get around? I know there's ways of going to these machines and you can put the tether and you can take up to a thousand dollars or something like that without any of that. But if you kind of if you're a shopkeeper or whatever, you know that like, is there any way around it that they kind of know your customer where you have to give them all your information? Well, a lot of these machines, they work even just with a phone number. But as I said, the spread is really high. Sometimes between buy and sell, there's a $5,000 spread. So that's quite high. Yeah. And uh, yeah, using the exchange nowadays with all the regulation, it's uh, really, really regulating, regulated, all the know your customer. Uh, the the peer to peer uh, market is just you go to your local uh, Bitcoin um, club and they're in every city and a lot of people do peer to peer but it's really limited I would say so this is why I really would like to have places like El Salvador like Costa Rica the 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 Bitcoin jungle uh, also it's uh, in Guatemala there are a lot of places like in this case, like small towns where you can just spend your Bitcoin, paying things in Bitcoin. And this is, you know, the real um, the real purpose that Bitcoin was created, to be spent. Even though a lot of people, they say, hold, hold, that is hold your Bitcoin. I'm more of a person who's like, I want to spend my Bitcoin. If I need more, I can always buy more. But if you spend, there is a circular economy. If I spend my Bitcoin, then you get my Bitcoin, then you can spend your Bitcoin. And then, you know, the more they circulate, the more value they have. So whenever I can spend my Bitcoin, I prefer to do that. I can just say like last winter, I was uh, walking in the cold street of Berlin. Then I saw a place that was like, we accept Bitcoin. And there was a place who was doing a hot chocolate. I'm like, okay getting in just you know to be able to pay in bitcoin or here in lisbon now i know all the places except bitcoin and when i go there i spend bitcoin so this is the the way to give value to to bitcoin so i suppose for those that are kind of having the clue how this all works when you go into a shop and you're paying by Bitcoin, and they're accepting Bitcoin. You might talk us through the whole process so that people that don't know will kind of go, oh, this is how it works. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people, shout out to a lot of people in the Lisbon community who go just around places, and they just talk them in, you know, about Bitcoin, and sometimes they start accepting Bitcoin, you know. There's even a dentist here who accept Bitcoin, because wow. somebody went there and explained to them, and then... It's up to them if they want to change them into fiat or using them because let's be real. There are not many people who want to pay in Bitcoin, but maybe, you know, you accept this one payment per month and use, use them as a saving, you know, just for the future or something like that. Do we know the percentage of people using it? How much it's increased year on year? I mean, is it is it is it still like 1%, 2%? What's the kind of percentage of people in the world that are actually using it's not even I'm not, I'm probably, not expert on statistics but I can say recently I've been um, helping uh, develop an app called BTC map 
that includes all the merchants who accept Bitcoin in, in the world. And then if you open the app often and you just scroll around the world, you see that some places they explode, like uh, in Southeast Asia, there are some places who are like exploding and a lot of new shops are opening. It's just because there's a local team of people just, you know, orange peeling, as we say, everybody. And uh, yeah, I encourage everybody to just download BTC map and look around you because you may know there, there could be a, you know, a tattoo artist who accept Bitcoin or whatever. And then you can, uh, you can, you know, talk to more merchants and then they get added to the map. And uh, I guess it's also an advantage in the first mover advantage, because if you open BTC map and you see only, you know, three places around you, you may want to go to these places. And I saw, I think it was from another video that uh, you hit up was, uh, or it was a blog that there's a restaurant in Lisbon 13 years or something, like whatever length of time the guy is oh, yeah. actually, and that's incredible. I, I, I was there, it was not mine, it was by the Bitcoin Explorers. Yeah, but it was a guy who accepted Bitcoin since like uh, probably 2013, yeah. That's incredible, yeah. And with the regulation then, what's your kind of thoughts on that, especially with all the different things with FTX and all that? Like, how do you feel the regulation? Are you happy? <laughs> keep, keep away from, from the, the powers that be? Well, uh, I guess every country has to think about its own, its own way, its own regulation. Like here in Portugal, it was like always tax-free. At one point, it was like, yeah, if it's... Uh, held in less than a year, then you're a trader, then you need to sell, then you need to pay taxes on what you sell. But it's not clear what they mean less than a year, because if I buy now, but then I sell the Bitcoin that I bought like three years ago, so it's not tax-free, it's like, but I'm pretty sure that regulation are gonna come and they're gonna come more in a strict way for crypto. For Bitcoin, I don't really think it's going to be that much regulated because at one point is either going to be treated like money, like some people are going to try to, to do, say, oh, this is the currency of the country El Salvador, so it cannot be treated like an investment asset. is another currency, like it'd be the Turkish lira. Or it could be treated like, a, treated like an asset like gold, while the, the rest of the crypto sphere, I guess, is going to be more treated like the stock market or the actual company behind but i'm i'm really i'm really sad to say it in this case the market is really victim of the us and what the us thinks at the side about this and yeah hopefully we get free from this mentality what's your thoughts on the likes of say vanguard blackrock all these kind of in my opinion evil evil corporations that kind of have shares in everything that then they're buying and I presume holding or else they're manipulating it with the way they kind of because they have so much you know they have the printing press basically they work so so much what's your thoughts on them kind of getting involved in this well in this case I guess you're referring to the spot ETF not the, the derivatives and whatever it's around I mean if there is a spot ETF of course they need to hold Bitcoin and they cannot hold IOU or kind of non-Bitcoin assets Personally, I don't really care because I think if you want to hold Bitcoin for your retirement, just make a cold wallet, you know, never connect it to the internet, just send Bitcoin there and that's your retirement. But I'm a tech person. I'm a person who research a lot while most of the people 
I'm also thinking about in the US, you know, they have this retirement fund that they manage the retirement from, for them. So in this case, and this will, will always be the majority of the population. So in this case, it's better if Bitcoin gets added to this portfolio because Bitcoin is just the counter, um, counterparty to the economy. Like in the economy, you print money, so economy grows and, uh, and everything gets more valuable, but it's not that it really gets more valuable. It's just because there is more money going around. So Bitcoin is the solid money. And I, I guess it should go to every like uh, portfolio, even non-believers at this point. Even if you don't believe you want to hold some Bitcoin because you want to be proven wrong. <laughs> with the, like the wallets then like say when you go into the shop and stuff like that what's the best wallets and what exchanges would you recommend so personally i always uh, advise to keep your big holdings in any uh cold storage wallet like uh, bitbox 02 or some people prefer ledger uh then having another hot wallet that could be like, a, but always um, a self-custody wallet. It could be like Phoenix uh, or um, there are many on the, on the phone where you keep some money with self-custody. And then with Lightning Network, that it's um, this instant um, way of paying in uh, Bitcoin. In this case, I don't really care, even though I have my Bitcoin node, and I open the channel to pay in the Lightning Network. In this case, I don't really care to use a custodial wallet where somebody else holds my private key. In this case, the easiest is wallet of Satoshi. But you don't keep there your holding. You keep there what you would keep in your normal wallet with fiat money. How much you keep when you go out? 50 euro, 100 euro, you keep that amount. Because that means if that company fails or if they steal your phone, Something happened, it's like if they steal your wallet. So it's the same mentality. Keep your Bitcoin, your, keep your saving where nobody can see it. Keep the Bitcoin that you may need you know, in a custodial wallet where you hold your private key and then keep the everyday activity in a, in a non-custodial wallet when, uh, that is easier to, to use, but then somebody else holds your private key. And in the same way, even though a lot of people say exchanges are the worst, exchanges are bad, some people like to do trading, some people like to gamble. I cannot argue with you know everybody what they like to do. They are free to do whatever they want. But at the same time, just keep there what you can lose because FTX was the second uh, biggest exchange. They even had a stadium under their name and look what happened. So it's like, in this case, just know that Every exchange can fail at any point without warning. So if you have something there to trade, then you're not trading, just withdraw everything. And I mean, just from what's going on in the world, there's talk of a lot of banks failing as well. So yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah, the so crypto you... might be actually safer. And where do you see it going? Like, I mean, we've seen, you know, you know the different runs that it's done, but what's your thoughts on where it's going? especially with the limited supply like and well a lot of people are keeping an eye on the next halving and i'm pretty sure that after the halving nothing is going to happen but you know it's like there will always be a trigger in the market with something which is always not related 
to something powerful. Like last year, if I'm not mistaken, the trigger was Elon Musk accepting Bitcoin for Tesla. How many people buy Tesla? So it was a, a stupid trigger, but I think it was ready. The situation was ready for a bull market. And uh, also the bear market was triggered by all this company failing, but it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. This company were just pure frauds. So what I, I love to observe is more the evolution of the technology. Talking about the Bitcoin space, now I'm, um, I'm observing if they want to do sidechain or if they want to do RGB to do token, in this case would be stable coins or uh, all the... Um, all the innovation that they're trying to do, but this is never gonna be a trigger for the price. And this is how the world is detached. You know, the world of finance is detached with real innovation. The trigger for the price is always something that it doesn't make sense. Something that is technology-wise doesn't, you know, it's not an innovation like Elon Musk talking about Bitcoin or Dogecoin or uh, all these things that, they don't really matter. But if you talk about price, I always think that it will always go up, but if you zoom out, because otherwise it goes up and down, up and down, up and down, but the trajectory is going up because it's a sound money. It's what sounds money is supposed to do, but it's not ready for now. It's not ready, you know, to be stable and counteract the inflation like, uh, like other assets. But if you zoom out, it is, and it will be. It's just, you need to, to understand this volatility and there's gonna be volatility. Makes sense. So I saw in your book that you have, like, cause there's a lot of controversy over the founder and I saw you've got Hal Finney. I've never heard that name. So you might let me know what's that, who's he, what's that about? So Hal Finney is the, the person who received the first Bitcoin transaction from Satoshi. Is a supercomputer nerd that was cited in white paper and he was in the, let's say in the cypherpunk scene in the 90s as well. We Nick Zabo is still alive and he could be another founder. And uh, probably the only one who knows it, who knew Satoshi or know who he was, even though poor Al is dead, he had a degenerative disease. And, uh, but my idea is that Satoshi was a group of people, most probably, or was a pseudonym, but Satoshi will never be relieved to the world now, the real identity. Because it's either he's dead, or it's a group of people, or it's just not worth it for the world to know, you know? It's not adding anything to the narrative. And uh, we we have to live with uh, with this thing that we'll never know who, who created Bitcoin. And uh, and I consider this as a feature because when you look at a lot of altcoins, there's a founder, sometimes it's a group, sometimes it's one person, like a dictator person, but sometimes it's a foundation. And uh, in this case, regulators know who to knock on the door when they want to do something, when they want to change the code. In the case of Bitcoin, there is nobody. And it was really funny to see the Greenpeace uh, uh, campaign to change the code and everybody answer like on Twitter, like, oh yeah, call to the CEO of Bitcoin because there is no CEO, you know? You cannot change the code. And even if you do, you create a fork of Bitcoin that is not Bitcoin. 
So this is something that probably will never be relieved about the about the the identity of Satoshi. It's it's good to create content on YouTube. There are a lot of people speculating, but it will probably never be revealed. Because I, I just recently and I had seen a picture of him, but a Dr. Craig S. Wright that he's kind of claiming and. Apparently, he's won court cases and he's got all the patents and everything. I mean, do you, have you come across heard of him? I, I don't know if I can say what I think because I don't want to get sued. They sued basically the entire uh, the entire Bitcoin space, but he's definitely not Satoshi. He has no idea when it's in white paper. You just look at a video of him talking about Bitcoin and you really understand he has no idea of what's in the white paper. So it's... You know, it's clearly a fraud and it's like, yeah, okay, it's just people with a big ego. They want to, they want to, you know, push whatever coin they make and that's it. Yeah. And I believe, is there like a million coins from the founder that were never used as well? So that's something also I talk about in my book. Uh, It's estimated that 1 million of uh, Bitcoin of the 21 million are Satoshis. But there, there is not a wallet with 1 million Bitcoin. There was a way some people tried to do some analysis on the blockchain to understand where the first mine Bitcoin went. Because, of course, at the beginning, if there were like five or 10 people mining, one was Satoshi. And the block award was 50 Bitcoin, 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So there were a lot being generated. So some people try to, let's say, color some coin and see if they didn't move for enough time. They say, okay, this may be Satoshi coin. And there is an estimate of uh, 1 million that could belong to Satoshi. But as I say, there is not a wallet with 1 million. It's like some people were trying to estimate that these were Satoshi based on some uh, on-chain analysis, even though it could be Satoshi, it could be also some early people you know mine bitcoin and forgot about about the wallet and threw away their drive but yeah even though there were some of these of course they are satoshis but at this point i really think that they are never going to be moved because most probably private key lost and some of them who you know they are satoshi you know it's just gonna generate a big earthquake in the in the sphere so I just believe at this point that there are 20 million Bitcoin, not 21 million. And with the mining then, because obviously they're rewarded for the mining, because obviously they've got the, you know, the equipment costs, the energy costs and everything. But I, I believe, is it 2040 that this kind of splitting or whatever? Yeah. Were there? So what happens after that? What happens after 2040? How do the miners get rewarded then? Or is it Every... just that they take a fee from it then? Will it be a fee that they'll be taking from the transaction? So from the beginning, there was 50 Bitcoin. Every four years, the amount of um, Bitcoin that are included in a block for uh, as a fee for the miner get half. So it was 50, 25, um, 12.5, and 6.25, and half and half. So this means that a miner gets half of the reward. And what it means, like if the price goes up, then you're fine. You still can, you know, pay your electricity. If the price stays sideways or goes down, then a miner has two ways of uh, dealing with that. One is shutting down because if you pay, I don't know, uh, 
10,000 per electricity per month and then your reward in Bitcoin is 5,000, then you're not profitable. It's a business, simple as that. Or you have a way to find a cheaper electricity. And this is what, the, what now is really driving this green narrative in Bitcoin because cheaper electricity doesn't mean that you need to pay less because you know at one point you cannot pay you know less than zero it's just finding renewable sources or green electricity that you can pay less but not only that there are a lot of projects who are aiming to pay zero and you can ask me how you can you pay zero for electricity one example is uh, some mining farm if i'm not mistaken in texas that they install a mining farm near some uh, geothermal um, um, electricity plant that they power the city. But when the, at night, for example, the city needs less power, they turn on the mining equipment that start generating Bitcoin because that electricity would have been wasted anyway. And when the city needs power, you shut off the mining. So that's a way to store the excess electricity in Bitcoin. So more and more of these initiatives that will be, you know, created, it will just put out of business people who are paying for electricity. And that means people are using non-renewable sources of paying a lot. So I guess halving less reward, but you need to find a way to find cheaper electricity, but also means less Bitcoin going around. And in theory, the price should go up because if more people want it, of course. And with like altcoins then, like, because I mean, there's rug pulls, there's so many different uh, coins out there. I mean, at one stage I was saying there was 8,000, then I was told there was 11,000, there's probably 20,000. I don't even know how many there is. It, it just, you know, it's like constant increasing. Like, is there other ones that you think are worth kind of investing in? So also in this case, I wrote an article that it was called, it was kind of a, to trigger uh, a lot of different people are called altcoin are not a scam, but not they are not a Bitcoin competitor either. Because my point of view that Bitcoin is money, Bitcoin is trying to do something to revolutionize the way we see money. And for me, altcoins they are tech companies who are trying to do, trying to develop a new way of technology or using blockchain, using whatever technology they want. And uh, a lot of them can be viewed as they are innovating, but you never know on the long run if they are going to survive. It's like, you know, the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s. You know, Amazon survived, but how many failed? But I also, as a technological person, I'm not a person who, who just saying everything is a shit coin. I don't want to even look on it because... In the technological way, I want to research. I want to research why they're moving to proof of stake or why they're using this technology. Because for example, the, the zero knowledge technology that they're uh, testing out on Ethereum is something that I was always curious about. And maybe they're using it there and then it will be integrated in Bitcoin one day. So as a technological person, I always want to understand as an investor, it's different. As an investor, that's, you know, mostly risky and uh, it's different, yeah. Different than Bitcoin. Okay. And just just finally, because uh, you've been to 
Bitcoin beach, I believe it's called in uh, El Salvador. So like, what what's it like being there? What what what's the kind of vibe? Is it, is it all nomads that are there, or are there a lot of locals that are embracing this as well? Oh, that's I guess it's a bubble in El Salvador. But Salvador is much more than Bitcoin Beach. Bitcoin Beach is just a place for surfers, and where they organize meetup, but it's very small and limited, I would say. And it's just because they started this, the Bitcoin law started from a school that was created there. But El Salvador is much more than Bitcoin Beach and everybody wants to go. I I encourage them not to just to be locked in Bitcoin Beach and spend all the time there, but really rent a car and drive around because now it's much safer than what like five, six years ago. So even though it's not the super safe, like uh, Southeast Asia safe, but it's still South America. So be careful, but it's much safer than five years ago. Okay, right. Totally enjoyed the conversation. It's, I mean, it's more like surfing and uh, less nightlife in Bitcoin Beach. So if you want to wake up early and surf, that's that's what you like. Oh, yeah, I like surfing. So why, why, why not? <laughs> so listen, uh, totally enjoyed the conversation. I mean, the book is there. So you might let people know where's the best place to find you. So you can find me on Instagram, Lorenzo Primi. And uh, Twitter, where she posts, and sometimes I post something useful, uh, Crypto Lorenzo. And uh, yeah, these are the two more social that I use. Okay, perfect. So I'll make sure I put the links both on the audio and the video, as well as your uh, Amazon you. link as well. So people, because I know it's in Italian and English, of course. So yes. Yeah, I mean, this book for me is one of the best things that people told me they would like to give for Christmas. So wait a couple of months and that could be a good Christmas present for for your friends or family. Exactly. So thank you very much, Lorenzo. Thank you. So that's all for the Crypto Podcast. you find all our episodes on thecryptopodcast.org and make sure if you get the book, give them a five-star rating because it really helps. It'll get more people to see it. Until next week, take care. So I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. You'll find everything about me on bio.link forward slash podcaster with all my podcasts and you find it you see in the qr code in the graphic as shown i'd like again to thank my sponsors so if you or someone you know struggling with anxiety and want to know how to be 100 percent anxiety free six weeks without therapy or drugs daniel packard's anxiety solution program company offers a six-week system that permanently solves anxiety at an astounding 90 percent success rate people who join the program only pay at the end once they have clear measurable results if you're interested in learning more, go to permanentanxietysolutions.com where you can book a free consultation with Daniel. Do you fight blood pressure and or want to get off the meds? Doctors are amazed at what Zona Plus can do. You can get a $50 discount with my code Roy, zona.com slash discount slash Roy. And you'll see it in the QR code as well as Daniel's QR code. Quality manufacturer of metal products for telecommunication and workshop equipment and other metal materials. you see the brochure there in the QR code. And let me know if you would like a quotation shipped internationally at very competitive price. I'd like to thank all my sponsors and also all my listeners. Be sure to give me a thumbs up, five-star rating, share with your friends, really helps. And I also have a video on how to give a five-star rating because a lot of people have wrote to me asking me that they don't know how to do that. Until next week, take care.